Jeff, it is Boise State hate week. Uh, we didn't do a post-game fireside for Utah State. I think that was largely because we already we had five sessions of conference, like in the fireside. I mean, if you have five sessions of conference, you don't need another fireside on Sunday night, right? No, and we didn't I mean, have we didn't have that... any bugus about it either. So we were both right. busy with family stuff. Like I had, and I'm sorry, is my wife's my in-laws had a get together and uh I chose carne asada over uh, doing a fireside on Sunday night. Cause well, anytime, I mean, at some anytime, point, the, anytime the Mexican side of the family gets together, it's a good time. <laughs> it's sometimes it feels like the MTC. You know what I mean? I was in the MTC uh, during conference and let me tell you, it was miserable because you had to watch it inside like the auditorium. This, the, the, I can't even remember what building they called it back then, but like where we did all of our firesides. And let me tell you what I remember. I remember watching, the first session on Saturday in those plastic chairs, and then the second session, and then the priesthood session, and then the first session on Sunday, and then the second session on Sunday. And I was exhausted. I was ready to go to bed. But do you remember? You don't remember. You weren't there with me. But do you want to know what happened Sunday night? I still had my regular Sunday night fireside at the MTC. I remember that. I, I had was the miserable. same thing. And I don't know if it was that time, but I remember there was one time in the MTC for the fireside, the on Sunday night. I don't think it was conference weekend, but we had um see we had on the f- first of the opening hymn, we sang all seven verses of if you could hide to collab. And then the closing hymn, they did all seven verses of how firm a foundation <laughs> and sang the entire thing. That's a long meeting. So we had no fireside. And also, can I? I think you are the one who started it. I, I certainly am not creative enough to come up with our post game firesides, calling it a fireside. Uh, nobody last year we just of, did like a recap, right? Like that's yeah. what we called it. In, but I felt like fireside this year. I think I just said it on a whim after the Arizona game. Uh, and I just felt like largely because we're like, you know, we're going to sit on it for a day and do it on Sunday night. Right. So Sunday night, yeah. that's when you have a fireside is on Sunday nights. And so well, I just like to lean deserve, into the BYU branding a little bit, right? Like we're you deserve weird. some kudos because outside of our little bubble here, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Like people are probably thinking like World War II fireside chats. Like, well, I don't get it. But like for us, it's like, oh, no, this is good. This is great. So yeah. well done on the name. If, fireside. if you give kudos to somebody BYU related, is it kudos instead of kudos? Uh, well, you don't deserve kudos for that. That was a that okay. was not good. Okay. That was not good. Not good. So, kudos <laughs> is no go. No, no, that was a no. So we are going to wrap up Utah State. There was some. There was a lot of good. There was a lot of bad. I shared a VIP article immediately following the game with with some of my experiences because I've said I hate Utah State more than I hate Utah, and going to that game absolutely confirmed that for me like i didn't need confirmation i've confirmed it over the last three decades of my life but it absolutely confirmed that for me that that fan base and i don't you know i hate speaking with a broad brush because i'm sure that there are 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 good utah state fans out there i'm absolutely sure of it i will say that the actual like i know legitimately i know four Utah State, like people, I'd be like, you are an actual Utah State fan, and all four of them are great people. But yeah. every face, every like random Utah State fan that I've interacted with online is the worst. 
and 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 I don't know if this really plays a role because I love Cash Valley. I would love to like I, I've always said, and it's like the anti everybody else's dream. I'd love to retire to Cash Valley because I just love it up there. Like I, I really truly enjoy I don't enjoy Logan, but I enjoy Cash Valley. And I from what I've noticed, it's the fans who still live in the valley. I it it's hard to find ones that you can even have a conversation with. The fans who are good that are Aggie fans outside of the Valley, it, it seems almost exclusively that they live outside of, of Cache County. They are they they crossed the Sardine Canyon border and they are here with the rest of us civilized folk. And those fans are good. So I don't know who the it's four true. that you know are, but none I'm gonna the, assume that they live don't live there. there. Nope, yeah. none of them are up there. I don't know why. I'm sure that there are good ones. But being at this game, I almost got in a fight, Garrett. Like, I almost had to punch a dude. I was getting ready to punch a dude. I have been to, I don't know how many football games. Hundreds, probably. I mean, I've been to a lot of football games in my life. I have been the opposing fan at a lot of different stadiums in, I don't know, 10, 20 different states. Like, I have been all over the place. And never have I had an experience like I I do when I go to Logan most recently this past weekend. I was there. I took my brother-in-law. I, I I was there with my parents and my brother-in-law, and my brother-in-law wore a Utah shirt. Oh, uh, he I tried that's to get who, him to change. So someone, uh, Kyle Campbell, texted me and was like, "Hey, I just met Jeff, and he was with someone in a Utah shirt." Yeah, <laughs> I tried to get him to change. I even offered some generic "Give him hell, Brigham" branding, but then when I said, "Well, we can," I'll take a picture of you and say there's one at every game, and you'll be the idiot Utah fan. He kind of relished that idea, so that's what we did. So he wore his Utah shirt, but uh, it was it was the four of us up there: my parents, my brother-in-law, myself. And I was having a conversation. It was the play. I can't remember. It was I think it was the end of the first half, maybe maybe yeah, right towards halftime, when Kalani had to burn a timeout because he was pretty pissed because he thought that Utah State had substituted and they had. And so he should have had a full sub and they had to burn a timeout. Well, Utah state was pissed on the other side because they, they made, thought, Hey, you, you, we got the ball off before the timeout. What are you right. doing? And I made the comment. This was like verbatim word for word. My comment was, I think both sides are pretty pissed off at the reps right now. That was it. It was an innocent comment that wasn't defending one side or the other. It was, hey, refs are dumb, which I think is something that all football fans can universally it, agree it, with. It unites us all. I thought so. And some dude, I wasn't even talking to him. I was talking quietly. I wasn't yelling. It was, it was a quiet comment to my brother-in-law. This guy sitting uh, three seats down from me, he looks over, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but something that included the word moron in it. So he calls me a moron. I was like, dude, uh, they thought he subbed. Should have been a full sub. He's like, well, you can't just substitute anytime you want, you moron. That's not how football works outside of Provo. Except it does. Actually, There's like, actually, big fella, let me educate you on the rules. And so I proceeded to educate him on the rules. And then he just kept calling me a moron. And then there was an expletive that was that was thrown out. And so then at that point, I I usually am pretty good at just like avoiding confrontation in these kinds of scenarios. When you're dealing with somebody, it, it, it was like the real life version of a zero follower account. Like normally you just 
you ignore it, right? And I'm pretty good in real life at just being like, okay, whatever, and, and ignoring it and moving on. And so it was probably bad on my part, but I engaged. Once he said something, I once, once, once the curse words started to come out, I also took it upon myself to respond in kind. I thought we were going to have to fight. I thought it was going to happen. He stood up so that I stood up. If his wife wouldn't have been, if his man was like, he was old. He was like my dad's age. He's like mid fifties, sixties. That's uh, a, if his why? That's like a what I, a college age kid would do. Yeah, it was very weird. His wife ended up telling him to calm down and made him sit down. And I made some smart ass comment that that my wife wasn't at the game, so I could go all night, old man, if that's what you want to do. It was probably a stupid thing to say, uh, but that was the experience. This old man was ready to fight me. We left the game early. My mom had just had knee surgery. And so the way that that stadium is positioned is it's up on the hill in Cache Valley. So it's kind of a pain to walk. You have to go up the, up the stairs even to get to the gates of the, the stadium. And so we knew we needed to get there pretty early so that my mom could have plenty of time to walk up the stairs. And we were going to need to leave early so that she could walk without you know the crowds all going down the same two or three staircases that exist. So we left just after BYU scored um their second to last touchdown there's like 12 minutes left in the game and as i'm walking out this guy who's been obnoxious all game long just like a crazy fan you'd expect him in a student section but he was over on the other sideline he tells me that i'm arrogant for leaving I was like, what what? <laughs> what are you talking about and he's like oh you just think BYU's done and i was like okay guy move on and then he said something to my brother-in-law and I got all the way up to my gate and started walking out the stadium and I, my brother-in-law was gone. So I had to go back down and they were getting into another sort of an altercation. This is my brother-in-law in a Utah shirt. So it was, it was very strange, man. Like the whole dynamic, maybe I just got a bad row, but these were two interactions and there were more, but these were two of the, the most profound interactions with two Utah state fans who were not affiliated. They were not, you know, part of the same family. These were just two random people. And I thought I was going to have to fight in both scenarios. Like it was really, really strange. It's so weird. I don't like, I don't, I, I've only been to one game there and I, you know, I've only been to one game there and it doesn't seem like it's, you know, too crazy. Um, it, it feels like I've been to a lot of games up there that aren't BYU games and they're not like that. It's only the BYU game. And when BYU gets there, it's kind of like an NFL game a little bit. Like the fans get, they bring out their crazy for BYU. They really do. And you've seen NFL games, like almost any week, there's a fight at, in the stands at an NFL game. Like NFL fans are nuts about their team, right? right. They're always fighting. I, I don't know why. I don't know what the difference is from a college football fan in the SEC to the NFL, but there's a difference. Like the NFL fans are nuts. And that's what it feels like when it's a BYU Utah State game. If you're not surrounded by BYU fans, and there's a lot of BYU fans who go, so there's a good chance that you are. But if you're there and you're a BYU fan in the midst of a bunch of Utah State fans, it feels like an NFL game. It's really weird. I don't know how to explain it. It's very strange. Well, the Zaggies though, but the game is over and it was won. And obviously the Baylor Romney is the big storyline of that game. Well, it's the big storyline going forward. And when we talk about the good and the bad, uh, the good is obviously 
Tyler mother flipping Algier. Yeah. Yeah, he was right. It, it was he's amazing. I I still cannot hammer home enough that like Tyler Algier does not get the credit that he deserves as a running back, and people do not realize that in terms of size and speed, like Tyler Algier's comp in BYU history is Luke Staley, and people like it they don't see that like when they see him, but it's like the dude ran a laser sub four, four forty in the spring. He weighs 220 pounds. Like he is a Luke Staley jr. Right. And that it, like he is up there with, in terms of most talented running backs that BYU has ever had. He's up there with Luke. He's up there with Ronnie Jenkins. He's up there with Jamal Williams. Like he is one of, the top five, probably in the argument for top three running backs in BYU history. And BYU fans are, and you and I, we've been saying this for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, we, this is not anything that's new to us or to listeners of the show. And um, that's, you know, nothing that's not new to any listeners of the show, but he needs to get the, he's finally getting the respect that he deserves. And he's doing it on a national scale. I mean, people nationally are are starting to pay attention to Tyler Algier. Um, the thing that I think is uh, the most intriguing about Algier this year that we we don't talk about. People talk about his speed. We talk about how big he is and and how you know strong he is. Uh, how he gets better as the game goes on. He is. He has maybe the best vision, maybe not vision, because there's been some pretty good vision running backs, but his patience, his ability to to wait for a hole to open up and then hit it hard is elite. Like maybe the best of any BYU running back that I've ever seen. Um, that's what makes his like jump cut so dangerous, is he's so patient in letting these holes open up that he'll he'll sit for for two or three yards and run slow and knowing that the backside is going to open up and then he can make a cutback and he hits it and he gets up this top speed really quick. His ability to be patient and let a play develop and let the offensive line do what the offensive line does is elite. And then when you combine that with the fact that he is averaging almost four yards after contact per carry, he, when the play blows up and the offensive line can't open up a hole, he's still good enough to break a tackle and make something happen, but his patience is elite. And that is something that I think needs to be talked about more regularly among BYU fans. It really isn't. He, I mean, how many times have you seen where it's just like, go, go, go jump cut or like one foot, put your head down. He will rumble towards you. Like he doesn't, he's fast enough to leave you in the dust, but he doesn't shy away from contact. Like he is, you know, up there and we've talked about a lot, like he runs and he plays like Harvey Unga did. Yeah. And it's very similar. And he is faster. He's just a faster version of Harvey. I mean, Harvey played about 20, 25 pounds heavier than him, but he is, you know, he plays the same way. And we saw that, right? Like his first touchdown, he lowered his shoulder, ran over that guy on the sideline and then ran into the end zone. And that's his very much his style. And he, his patience is something that I don't know that I've ever seen a back with that much patience and Katoa is the same way, right? Katoa is also, equally, yeah. he's just not as good of an athlete. Um, 
but he's a better receiver and Kato is a better blocker uh, in the backfield. And so they each bring their different things to the table. Obviously Tyler is, there's a reason Tyler's number one and getting the bulk of the carries, but I think um, his patience is something that we have never seen a running back that is that patient. And we might not be, no. a long, it'll be a long time until we do again. I agree. I think it will be. So Tyler Algier was, was certainly the star of the game for BYU. And, and beyond that, the lines, man, the offensive line and the defensive line were outstanding. Uh, look, Utah State is not, what's his name? Robert Turbin's not there. Emmett White is not there. Kerwin Williams is not there. So they're not an elite running team anymore, but they're a good running team. They can run the ball better than what they ended up doing against BYU. Like that defensive line performance, and it didn't matter who was out there. Uh, that defensive line performance was was elite. That was a great showing by them. And on the offensive line, uh, the BYU offensive line played really, really well. Um, when you when you start to break down the offensive line, it it's really kind of staggering. I, I wrote an article earlier this week on on CSI breaking down the running directions of, of Utah State. Uh, excuse me, of Tyler Algier against Utah State and, and throughout the whole season. And the left side, not surprisingly, the left side of BYU's offensive line, uh, Freeland and Clark Barrington have taken every snap there, 330 snaps. And Tyler Algier, when he runs behind those two, is averaging something like seven and a half yards a carry. Like it's just some like eye-poppingly crazy number. And because they are performing so well on that side, we have this tendency, I think, to naturally think that the right side of the offensive line is not performing well. But even that side, with despite the injuries, despite having to play Campbell Barrington, you know, as a getting his first reps, Joe Tukawafu, Connor Pay, it's it's been kind of a, a cycle, a merry-go-round on that right side. Tyler Algier is still averaging close to four. It's a little north of four yards a carry when he runs right. That that's a really good offensive line that is playing really, really well. And against Utah state, they were, they were firing on on all cylinders. That was the best game that the offensive line has played all year long. And they did it with Connor pay at center, Joe Tukawafu at right guard and Campbell Barrington at at right tackle. That's impressive. And this was, and I kind of earlier and you, you put me in my place and, you know, on our discord earlier, I, I mentioned that, you know, Campbell or Connor pay, he got, I said he got eaten alive, which was harsh, but he, they did, they did attack that spot between pay and Tukuafu of, you know, you know, Connor paid solidified himself as the first right guard. And then when he slid over, you have Tukuafu who hasn't been getting as much playing time. Like that was the definite weak point. Uh, Tukuafu, I mean, he was a road grader. He had the best run blocking grade, I think of anyone this season on PFF and uh, of anyone across the board and and pay struggled a little bit. Like he was serviceable, but it was his worst game of the season, which you could expect, right. As a center and dealing with, you know, adding, snapping the ball in on top of it. And they definitely targeted him, but he held his own and it wasn't. And it was something like you can have, right. You can have one weak link on the offensive line, right? You can scheme around having four solid guys and one. Okay. Guy, which we did. And especially if that left side, um, you know, with Barrington and Freeland, like if you can run behind that all day long and it doesn't matter what they do, they're not going to stop you. And so, yeah. you know, we can keep up with that. Um, you we know, can keep it, up with pay, that and it's go ahead. Pay, pay was really, it was interesting because 
you're right. Of the five offensive linemen that were there, he he probably did have the worst game, but he wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. He he played fine. And when you consider what like the elements, right? Like you consider what he had to deal with. Uh, he's snapping the ball for the first time this year. We saw it on the very first play of the game. Uh, he nearly threw the ball over Baylor's head. It was bailed out by an offsides penalty. So everybody kind of forgot about it, but it was a disastrous start to the game. That was really the only bad play that he had. He had, he didn't make a ton of great plays, but he had to deal with the first true road game for BYU. So that was the first time in, in how long, almost two years that BYU has played in a loud, hostile environment. Um, he had to do it with a new right guard by his side and he had to do it with two different quarterbacks and their own, you know, the nuances of their, their cadences and the differences between Baylor and Conover. Uh, he had to deal with a lot for any center all while it was his very first game as the starting center. Uh, so yeah, his performance wasn't elite, but man, I, what I got from that game when it comes to Connor pay is I got a ton of confidence in Connor pay next year when James Empey is gone. Like he showed yep. me that, holy cow, he's got the tools to just go from T. John Caroma to James Empey to Connor Pay, and, and production's going to be steady. And that is something that is unheard of prior to T. John Caroma coming to BYU. Yeah, definitely. Because even, I mean, while T. John was there, I mean, the whole rest of the line wasn't that great. Like there were not a lot of great offensive linemen and right. That's the whole reason we saw go fast, go hard was to mask the deficiencies of the offensive line. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we haven't, uh, you know, we finally really grown past where we can say, Hey, we can even, we could throw baby Barrington in there and he'll do all right. Right. Like, and it's, you know, that entire right side of the line, they didn't do as well as the left side, but you had three pretty green guys on the right side of the line. I mean, obviously pay, and Tukuafu have a good amount of experience, but Tukuafu is definitely the number six offensive lineman. And we got baby Barrington in there for his first career start. And we moved Connor pay over and they still did. Okay. Um, and so huge props to the offensive line and huge props to the defensive line as well. They, you know, forced a lot of pressure. They were eating up stuff. I think what we finished with like 10 TFLs. Um, I think off the top of my head, I don't remember exactly how many it was, um, but it was, you know, it was a very, it was the best game we've seen in a long time from the defensive line and it to hold them to just about a half a yard per carry uh, when, and you can complain about the defense and, you know, giving up passive efforts, Utah state is still one of the top 10 offenses in the country, right? Like they were averaging over 500 yards a game and we held them to what 22 yards rushing and 300 yards passing. We said, Hey, Logan Bonner, you're going to have to beat us with your arm. And, you know, it was, we did a good job. Like the defense did what it was asked to do. And if it really, if Baylor Romney doesn't get hurt, like they were what three, there were two, three and outs. And then that other third drive that didn't really go anywhere. Like it took a while for a few drives for Conover to settle into that second half, but you take those away. Like that game was, would have been a blowout a major, yeah. major blow if Baylor Romney had stayed in the game where he was already settled and willing, you know, in a good spot. And so it was, you know, the defense did its definitely did its job where you said, Hey, you're looking at a team that's, I mean, yes, they had their Boise game where they only scored three points, but they really just kept shooting themselves in the foot over and over again. But you said you, you held a team 200 yards under their season average in terms of yards. Like that's in every that's, facet of the game. They were below their season averages. Yeah. Scoring, rushing, passing everything. That's great. That's great defense. Yep. And it's, 
you know, and, but the bad part of this and kind of the other things of is right, is the secondary struggled. And we saw a lot of third and longs. Um, I think this is something to clarify where I don't like, there's nothing wrong with the scheme. And if you are not a VIP subscriber, um, we will have, uh, an email blast. Oh, I guess it'll be a one-time thing. We're not going to post this as an article, but if you come join us on the discord and get in the VIP channel, it's, we had uh, Danny Holmgren went to a crew club luncheon today with a Q and a with Elisa Tuyaki and talked a lot about what they do on defense and why. And uh, it, it kind of cleared a lot of things. And it's a lot of stuff that we've been saying on the show, but I think hearing it from Elisa, you know, kind of clears it up a bunch of, right. It's the whole point is make, don't give up any big plays make them chew the clock. Eventually they will make a mistake and, you know, just don't get beat. And if, even if you look at those third and longs, right? Like it's, we didn't want to give up a huge play on third and long. If you bring a bunch of pressure when they're already sending guys deep, right? Like if you can't really, if you don't get home, you're just exposing a huge amount of field. And so a lot of those is they got right to the sticks. And so he said, okay, like we're going to force them to throw short of the sticks Then we need to go make a tackle. And some of those, right? Like there was that one scramble where Bonner somehow got like 11.1 yards and he needed, uh, you know, and there were about 11 broken tackles on that play. And so there, most of those third and longs, there was a guy there, but his DB was on him, but didn't get or linebacker was on them, but didn't get their hands up. There was, or it was a broken tackle and they reached forward and got that extra yard and a half to get just over the line. And those, right. If, a missed tackle is the reason for a play being made. That's not scheme, right? Like that's not, and that's not coaching. I guess you could say it's coaching because like guys, you know, like, Oh, you need to teach players to tackle and need to break down whatever. But it's, that's also one of those things to me where it's like, if the players don't do it yet, they're not ever going to do it. Like, it's just, you guys have to decide if they're going to do it right or not. And it's not like, that's not a game plan issue. It's still a coaching issue, but it's not the type of coaching issue that people are suggesting. And so I think the game plan was great. Um, Obviously it worked. There were times that we shouldn't have done it. And I honestly think that, I mean, that Devin Tompkins is a good receiver. He's fast. He's one of the fastest players in the country. Uh, That other, I don't remember, say McGriff, that other receiver, he's like 6'4", 220 pounds, and he can move too. Like, I would love to have that dude on our team, right? They have some athletes. And I, I mean, we'll talk about this in the Boise State preview, but it's they our secondary got tested and i think you know they made a couple of mistakes and there are guys that obviously could have played better but on the whole the defense played really well much much better than what the fan reaction was ourselves included in real time right yeah yeah i mean absolutely and that that really is i had an interesting twitter exchange with uh with the sports bros um earlier today they were responding to a clip that that Alex Kirby put out. Our our friend, friend of the show, Alex Kirby. That uh, he's a high school coach who has a, his own preseason playbook network where he does previews and things. I guess he doesn't do previews. He does recaps of the season that was, and he basically rewrites a team's playbook. It's fascinating stuff, and and I think it's important to remember. Uh, this was what the exchange with, with sports bros was with I mean, the play that was in question. Wasn't a defensive play. It wasn't a hostile you know, exchange at all. I think it was very good, but not every play is to, meant to, you know, hit a home run. Every quarterback draw is not meant to go for a touchdown. Every third down and long play call is not meant to, to force a turnover. There are times where the objective of a specific play call is very different in a coach's mind 
than what it would be in a fan's mind who's who's got the emotions of the football game going. And so those third down and long defensive play calls, the whole design of that was, okay, we're going to keep these guys just shy of the sticks. We're going to take away the big play. We're not going to get beat deep on third and long. So they're going to have to, you know, on third and 10, they're going to have to throw a, a ball for eight yards and make a play. And that was what it was. So from a schematic standpoint, BYU's defense did exactly what it was designed to do. The issue was that when that ball was caught eight yards deep and they needed 10, there is still a tackle that has to be made. And if that tackle's not made, then it's going to be a first down. And that was a problem again and again and again. And it's tough to, as a coach, especially in a game that you're winning, it's tough to say, well, throw everything out the window. This isn't working. Because Utah State showed that with guys like McGriff, guys like Tompkins, they could get space. They could beat the BYU secondary deep. And so what's more frustrating, giving up a first down and bleeding the clock or getting Tompkins over the top and it's third and long and they just go 60 yards for a touchdown because they, they had that ability. And that's what Utah state's offense wants to do on every play. They are looking deep on almost every play. They want home runs on almost every play and BYU took that away. They did a really good job. Um, I, we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the show, but, but that's basically the objective of defense, right? Is that, okay, I can't take everything away. It's impossible. Nobody is going to take everything away, so you have to make a choice. What am I willing to give up? And in BYU's case, it's, yeah, I'm willing to give up short plays and make you make plays, period. And the secondary gave up too many plays, period. That, that, that's all that it was. The secondary, they made a lot of plays. Malik Moore's interception in the first quarter was one of the most unbelievable catches I've ever seen out of a defensive back. They, they made a lot of really good plays, but they gave up too many plays, and that really... I think is where the, the breakdown was, is that the, those plays need to be made. And if those plays aren't made against Boise State, they have the juice to, to make this a closer game than Utah, than Utah State was able to do. Yeah, and it's especially on the third down, I've seen some people, and this is kind of a good example of looking at where rankings, like in looking at num like you need to look at the actual statistic, not a ranking, because I've seen a couple people like, oh, well, if you go to the NCAA website, I've got it pulled up right now, third down conversion percentage defense. Okay. We are 90th in the country. And that sounds like, Oh my gosh, we're 90th in the country. If we did one more a game, that's not a ton, right? That's not asking too much. That moves us from 90th, literally cut in half to being number 45 tied (laughs) with Alabama. And I like sitting right between Alabama. So that would be 34 with how many third downs we've had. It'd be, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, we would be exactly, we'd be tied, sorry, with Iowa at number 46 at being 20 with 34.7%. And Alabama would be at 34.3% just in front of us, right? So it's not like, it's a good example, uh, you know, looking on those of things where it's looking and just saying, oh, well, they have the, you know, similar to recruiting class. We've talked about this, right? Like the drop between recruiting classes one to 10 is like the same as from like 10 to 25 which is the same between like 25 and a hundred um, or like, right. you know, and so it's like, there is it, you have to look at the actual numbers and a lot of things and just looking at the ranking doesn't really matter. Cause there's so many things clustered together. And really the point off the board is, and one thing um, that Elisa Tuyaki did mention today in his Cougar club luncheon was, you know, part of the hockey 
style subs that we've seen. And this is part of the, the whole kind of process is teams get down to the red zone. They're not subbing their offensive linemen. Like you don't sub offensive linemen, but we get guys going, we get new off defensive linemen there in the middle of the drive and then push come to shove. When you get into field, like closer to field goal range, it's like their drive, their guys are starting to get tired. We send back in the ones who have been on the sideline for a few, few plays are well-rested and they go out and close out the drive and get it done and keep points off the board. So there is a strategy to it and nothing, right, nothing happens in a vacuum, right? And you can say like, oh, well, if Utah State would have done this, then that could have happened and defense could have lost. Well, if the game was different, like if the, what you, in analytics you call the game state was different, you know, like we would have changed the way things were called because it's a different game. Like you'd call a game differently when you're up three scores than you do when you're behind by one score on both offense and defense, right? Like if you're up by three scores, you're going to run the ball a lot more to two more clock. And on defense, you don't care as much if the other team is having a nine minute drive because they need to do that three more times. And there's not that many minutes left in the half. And so it's, but if it's a closer game, you need to bring more pressure. You take more risks. Like you do things differently based on how the game is. So you can't just say, well, they got lucky because the offense didn't do this because things you don't call offense and defensive your game plans they work together because you have to worry defensively. What are you doing? Like what you do on defense matters with your offensive tempo, your offensive tempo matters. Cause if your defense isn't that great or your defense just gave up a long drive, you can't go, go fast, go hard and have a three and out. And they only got a 10 second break. You need to slow it down a little bit to give your defense a chance to breathe. Cause they were just on a long drive. Like it's everything. They play off each other and it has to be cohesive across all three phases of the game. And that's something that, like love it or hate it doesn't matter how frustrating it is to watch that's something that the staff has really dialed in for the last year and a half of this is our style and this is what we do and it works as long as it's working like i'm not going to complain as frustrating as it is and it is frustrating but but it is it's working i mean what is it seven 17 and one in the last 18 16 and one in the last seven something like that right yeah that uh and and that one is literally one yard away and it was the game that was that was come up with on a whim, scheduled on a whim, and two days later they were playing against one of the weirdest offenses in the country. Like, yeah. And even then, okay. that wasn't the defense. That game was the offense's fault. Fault right. if you could assign fault. Yep. And so, so I mean, there really wasn't a lot bad. The secondary was bad. The injuries are bad. Uh, we we got to talk about that. But the injuries appear to be nearing their end. And the good thing about injuries. I mean, if there is a good thing, I guess the silver lining about injuries is that BYU is still winning football games and they're going to get more talent back very, very soon. Everybody wants to know about the quarterback. And I'm here to tell you, it is a Wednesday afternoon that we are uh, recording this show. Nobody, coaching staff included, knows what Jaron Hall is going to be able to do on Saturday. Anything that you have heard is pure conjecture up to this point in the week like absolute speculation and guessing today is the day that a decision will be made. It's always been today. It was Wednesday last week. It's always going to be this day. Wednesday is the most critical day in determining availability for Saturday. The coaches want the players to be part of the install. Wednesday is the day that install starts. They go through and they, they 
They look at film on Monday and Tuesday. They practice a bunch of things. And then on Wednesday is when they start throwing stuff out. And they say, this is our game plan. Wednesday is the day that players have got to be on the practice field if they are going to play on Saturdays. So anything that anybody has said, whether it be the Blaine Fowler on BYU TV or whether it be, you know, Cougar one, two, three on Cougar board or anybody else. Wednesday is the day. Today's the day. Anything you've heard up to this point does not matter because Wednesday is the day. And at this point, I, if, if you're still believing the injury updates directly from the coaches in their press conferences, I don't know what to tell you. Like they are not telling us and uh, you know, we can, we can think that's dumb. And I do think it's dumb because I don't think that there's really a competitive advantage there at all. So I, I feel like they should just be transparent about it. Of You don't got to tell us what the injury is, but yeah, they're not going to play. I, I, I think it's a little bit dumb to be coy about it, but whatever they are, it's their prerogative. They get to choose that they're being coy. Um, if you are still believing the updates from Kalani and his press conference, I, like I say, I don't know what to tell you because so far uh, they're not true. Jaron Hall said that the wind was knocked out of them. Okay. We know that isn't the case. We absolutely know that. There's you know rumors about his ribs, about his sternum, about his shoulder. There's all sorts of rumors about him. Nobody really knows, but we know it wasn't the wind was knocked out of him, right? And, and that was what was delivered officially in a press conference. So don't put any weight into anything you've heard about injuries up to this point. I've heard a lot of things. I've heard very positive reviews, I guess, about Jaron Hall this week. I've heard good things about James Empey this week, about Harris Lachance this week. And I've shared those on, on CSI. We've shared those with our VIP subscribers, but I wouldn't put any weight into them because everybody is speculating. Today is the day that the coaches will actually have an idea of who will and won't play. Right. And, and there has been some, you know, a little bit of practicing and you may, and there's different definitions of like, oh, someone is practicing. That may just be, they're on the sideline running a little bit and seeing how, right? Like Miles Davis is practicing right now right? He's running on the sideline. He's getting back into shape. He's working on his foot, which he broke in camp, but that's very different than, you know, he's getting reps with the ones and full pads and going to be on the field on Saturday. And so there's, it's, yeah, what that practicing means also varies from player to player. Um, we also have under the bad, and we, we've talked enough about Utah State, just the herd. They suck. Like they throwing water bottles, like you know, and they were mad and then calling like BYU players classless for talking to them. It's like you were yelling at them the whole game. Don't be upset if someone yells back at you, right? Like it's that guy, when he called you a moron, why he shouldn't have gotten upset when you got upset. Like when you said, Hey, uh, no, you're actually the idiot here, right? Like there's, yes, maybe some players should have just shut up and let the play do the talking, but Whoever actually the the biggest loser of all of this is whoever in the Utah State Athletic Department thought it was a good idea to put the students behind the opposing bench. Like that was just that was a huge whiff. Yeah, it was at, at some point Kalani talks about it all the time, right? That uh, Jaron Hall wants to play, but we have to protect the player from themselves. That's the role of a coach. At some point, the Utah State administration has to protect the football team from itself that think about the logistics of this like anybody who was at the game can attest to the nightmare that the 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 utah state sideline is on the west side but the utah state locker room is on the east side 
and vice versa for BYU. So the teams have to cross each other at, at halftime. And I don't know if they showed this on TV or not, but before the teams were allowed to leave the sideline at the end of the second quarter, security had to come and they lined all the way across the field blocking Utah State from walking over to their locker room while BYU's entire sideline, and there's a lot of players, walked all the way across the field to get to the visiting locker room. That was bad. The administration should have looked at that and said, okay, hey, there's a risk. Maybe it's a small risk, but there's a risk that we're going to have some unnecessary player fights for what? A competitive advantage that is, how do you quantify it, right? Like, is it big? Is it small? That's all up to a risk tolerance, a risk analyst somewhere. But they also need to look at the student section. And they, they should have thought about this, of what would have happened if Utah State won that game. Utah State wins that game, I can promise you that student section is, is rushing the field. That's what they would have done because it's college football. That's what they should do. Right. Well, the student section that has been ridiculing Lorenzo Falatea's wife by name throughout the game is now going to be face-to-face with Lorenzo Falatea. There is a risk there. And I, I don't think that Zoe is the kind of guy that would have punched the dude talking about his wife. I don't think any BYU player would have. But that's a risk that has to be accounted for. And what is the gain? a competitive advantage that you really can't even quantify. Like at some point, the administration should have told Blake Anderson, Hey, we hear you. It would be hostile over there for the visitors to be on that side. It probably would be an advantage for you a little bit because you'd get a little extra noise and it'd be a little bit more disorganized on that side, but we have to protect Utah state from Utah state that this is going to create an unnecessary risk that would could potentially result in damages that are going to be really tough to recover from. And the Utah state administration did not do that. They are the ones who failed in this whole sideline organization drama. Yep. And they are the ones who failed, but I will give, before we move on to Boise, I will give props to the herd because they did not, after Tyler Algiers run down to the one, when he scored his last touchdown to put it out of reach at 34, 20, they didn't leave. Right. Like they stayed and maybe there were a couple of people start filling out, but even on the broadcast, you could hear them staying. They were singing their fight song. Even after the game was over, they stayed till the very end when they were losing by two touchdowns and the game was out of reach and you could tell they weren't going to come back. And so props to them for staying and cheering their school and not just bouncing the first chance they got. Now and their let, signs were hilarious. I'll their signs that. were Gunner is nine, a stupid name. I don't know why the number nine was in there. Maybe it was, I think it was supposed to be an A, but there were some handwriting issues. But my, my favorite sign of the night, they I think they printed it out on like an actual vinyl sign, and it was just BYU is not good. That was my favorite one, and it spanned across like five or six people. I, I, I want that sign, I want it every week at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Just Boise State is not good. Like, please make that a sign, or Boise is not a state. Um, yeah, there you go. The it's a yeah, it was props to them for the good parts of it and sticking it out. Now let's move on to Boise State. Now, I did some research and our newsletter that went out this morning, uh, this is paid, so you can go on the website and read it. If you haven't, it'll be on the front page or you should have, if you have not subscribed, then subscribe, then it'll just get it straight in your inbox. Um, I do not believe they have this anymore, but Boise State at one point in time, uh, you could study trucking. They had a truck driving program. That was through the college. Does that surprise you at all? Uh, it doesn't surprise me because I know how big of a trucking hub it is up there in Utah State. Friend of the show, 
Cole Murdoch, he's not quite Boise. He's Idaho Falls. Big time trucking fleet out of Idaho Falls. Trucking's a big part of the uh, the economy up there in Idaho. So no, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, and I believe they, the weird people up in Idaho, they don't say trucking. I think they say driving truck. It's like, well, that's a weird. trucking. Yeah, that's that's all of us. I say us. My bank is a trucker bank. You drive truck. That that's that's an industry thing, not an Idaho thing. Uh, and I don't think that's an English thing. But here we are. Um, <laughs> well, they, they, I, th- I'm pretty sure that they may have set a record for most money spent per collegiate baseball win. Uh, they started a baseball program. They played 14 games last year, won nine of them, and then they canceled it. COVID cut their season short, and they just threw in the towel on the whole program in its inaugural season. Uh, this, was su- this was surprising today. Um, I learned that. So on the U.S. news rankings, Boise State is lumped in with the University of Phoenix in terms of their group of schools that are their cohorts. Um, or I, what did I say? Oh, other Ivy light programs is how I described it. <laughs> ranked between I two. laughed out loud when I read that. So schools that are ranked higher, like Bowling Green is ranked higher. Utah State is ranked higher. Uh, Middle Where is Tennessee. Bowling Green? Is that in Ohio or Kentucky? Uh, so Bowling Green, this is confusing, okay? Uh, Bowling Green State University is in Ohio, and it is located in Bowling Green, Ohio. Western Kentucky University is in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Ah, okay. Um, I, get it. I don't know how far apart they are. Um, they are six hours apart. Those are very, I don't get Bowling Green. It's not like their sister city. It's not like Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas. It is. Yeah, that's weird. Very like, like Bowling. you do that offhand. Like I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah, I've I've had these questions before, <laughs> um, but yeah, Bowling Green, where Western Kentucky is, is like an hour north of Nashville, on the way oh, south dear. side of. Um, so I, this fact may or may not be true. Uh, in lieu of the ACT or other entrance exam, students may opt for a potato cook-off. With a panel of judges as the admissions director, students may prepare their favorite carb-loaded dish and present an oral history of the state of Idaho. One caveat to this is that if they wish to apply for a scholarship through this the potato husbandry program, you cannot use cheese. You cannot have that as a crutch. You have to go strict. Like you can get entered. You can use cheese if you're just applying, but if you want to apply and get a scholarship, no cheese. That's probably true. <laughs> the American Association of Optometrists has identified their field as a major danger to all of our eyesight. Um, and the library and the stadium are both. So, you know, they have Albertson Stadium. That's uh-huh. like the name of the field. It's also the Albertson's Library. Both named after the grocery store. Yes. Uh, I think that's probably because their second most successful program at the school is their implementation of Hooked on Phonics. <laughs> well done. Uh, it initially was an Episcopal school. This one was real, right? They originally started in 1892. Like it was, goes back to an Episcopal like high school, then became a junior college, and then eventually transferred from the Episcopal church over to the state. Uh, they literally do not have a single non-sports alumni that you have ever heard of. No, I was looking through that list. Uh, there's nobody. Yeah. There is nobody who is not an athlete that has graduated from Boise State University that you're going to be like, oh, wow. That's like impressive. the only people on there, it's like, oh, this person was an Idaho state congressman, or this person was a state senator or justice on the appeals, like the second Idaho third district court of appeals, right? It's like stuff that you'd expect from literally any college, because um, you're bound to have somebody go through. Um, they have a graphic on their cost of attendance. 
It says, the cost of attendance is an estimate of the average cost to attend Boise State. Like, thank you for redefining yourself with the definition. And then lastly, this is the most interesting. The, obviously, there were the 2003 and 2004 games. Uh, but since Independence, um, we've played since 2012. We've played them nine times. Uh, the Cougars have outscored the Broncos 237 to 221. And it's four and five. So if we win this game, it will be five and five over the history of independence, right? Like it's the programs have been very equal for the last decade um, with back and forth. And it will, uh, the next year's the kind of the last chance, right? Cause we don't know what's going to happen with this game come big 12 era. I imagine it will probably get rotated with either the Utah state game or the Utah game. And I hope it's the Utah game and I never want to play Utah state ever again. And it will, you know, it's so it's a big deal to be able to say, hey, like, you know, we won, we won the independence era of this rivalry, even though it's a one game thing. But going and more seriously, going into our preview, uh, the big thing here is Hank Bachmeyer and Shakir Bell or Khalil Shakir, not Shakir Bell, that's running back. Um, yeah, that's a different guy. Uh, they're good. They're good. Uh, a lot of people don't know this. BYU went hard after Khalil Shakir. Yeah, they wanted him good. in a big way. And for a while, uh, there was a lot of optimism in the coaching staff that, that BYU could get Khalil Shakir. And if you ask him on Twitter, uh, former, I don't know what his title was, recruiting director Tavita Ofangawe will not be bashful in, in sharing his affinity for Khalil Shakir. He tried hard. When, when he was here, he was leading the charge and the coaches wanted him. BYU wanted Khalil Shakir in a very, very big way. Uh, and, and think of how dynamic he would have been with Zach Wilson all these years. And, and this year, like, wow, Khalil Shakir could have done crazy big numbers at, at BYU. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're good. Those two are good. Hank Bachmeyer, Hank Bachmeyer has a bad reputation among BYU fans because of Boise State fans, right? Because after the blowout last year, you put what what did BYU score like 52, 55 points? It's 50, like 55 to 17. And and it was Boise State fans that said, well, if Hank would have played, it would have been a different game. Like, okay, well, well, Hank wasn't playing safety to to keep Zach Wilson from throwing over the top. So I don't think it really would have been that different. And so I think that there's this like kind of inherent angst towards Hank Bachmeyer from BYU fans, which is weird because, and this was weird to me, Hank has never actually played against BYU. This is his third year as the starter at Boise State, and this is his first game against BYU. He was hurt when uh, they came to LaBelle Edwards Stadium in 2019. That was the first Baylor-Romney big win. Hank Bachmeyer did not play in that game, and then he did not play. He was hurt last year when BYU blew out Boise State on the blue turf. So this will be the first game that Hank Bachmeyer has actually played in against BYU. The kid is good. He is going to, he and Shakir are going to team up. There are going to be some big plays made. Just expect it. Just, just convince yourself right now that those two are going to connect for a big play or two because they are. They're very, very good players. And I think with Hank Bachmeyer, it's a lot of it is because he has been good, but he has not been great. And he was her, he was heralded as being this great thing. And then they went down to Tallahassee and they knocked off FSU his freshman year. And he was this four-star kid, the highest rated player they've ever gotten, blah, 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 blah. And like, he does a good job, right? Like it's through five games now or four games, five games. 
He's completing 66% of his passes, got 11 touchdowns, four interceptions, averaging eight yards an attempt. His passer rating is 150. That's all very good. Like it's very, your quarterback is not the re if you're losing games, that's not your quarterback. That's what that range is. Right. And so I think a lot of it is because the hype and up to it, but the big question mark, and we'll get into this with the offensive line is the number of sacks that he gives up. And Shakir is, you know, it, he is great. They're going to get theirs. And it's like, as long as, you know, got a seven, couple 70 yard passes and it's, they have been very, very good. And so it's, they're going to get theirs, but they are not going to be able to rush the ball at all. Like they are averaging struggled. They're averaging 2.3 yards of carry as a team and behind. I honestly think the So I think Logan Bonner is not as good as Hank Bell. Neither Devin Tompkins nor Justin McGriff are as good as Khalil Shakir, but I think the Boise State offense will be easier to defend than Utah State was because I think there's word that George Helani is not going to play. He's their best. He's their best running back. Even without, he's the have the highest uh, yards of carry that they have with a whopping three point six yards. They're, you know, he's their leading rusher. He's their leading rusher with 123 yards on the season. They're only averaging 2.3 yards a carry and behind Shakir. So Shakir has uh, over a third of the team's receiving yards are through one guy. Yeah. And then it's, you have Stefan Cobbs, you have Octavius Evans. They can both play a little bit. You know, Cobbs is the better of the two, but it's, they really, it is not, like they have, it is very much like a, like 2013 where Taysom Hill was throwing the ball to Cody Hoffman every play because that was the best receiver. And there was a big drop off behind him. Yeah. And that's a very, this is not the Boise state team that you're used to. And, and that's maybe the most evident in the, in the trenches, you, you read all these names, George Holani is a good running back. Uh, he should be performing much better than he is. Cyrus Habibi Likio is a the Oregon transfer is a good running back. He's not great. Holani has NFL potential. Uh, Habibi Likio, I don't know that I don't think he does, but he's a good college running back. Andrew Van Buren has had some big runs in his career at Boise State. Like those are three solid running backs, and they're not getting anywhere. None of them. Like this Boise State offensive line is bad. And it is very uncharacteristic for a Boise State team. That is one thing that they are supposed to always be able to count on is having a good offensive line and a good defensive line. And they just don't this year. They are getting gashed in the run game. They, they can't stop the run and they cannot run the ball themselves. It's bad. Yeah, they're, I'm looking at PF, their team grades uh, blocking five games their pff rating is 46.3 in pass blocking and 49.6 on run blocking and that and is if, if you're not familiar with pff not that scale good goes to 100 yes 49 is an f yeah so it's, they are um team i mean there's a handful of teams worse than them but it's oh actually utah's pass blocking is worse than them that's not a shocker either um <laughs> no it's not but they yeah they are very not good like bottom 10 run blocking they are bottom 10 in the country in yeah. terms of their grade like the lowest is bowling green 38.2 but 
but it's there. The ballpark of Boise State is Kansas, South Alabama, Old Dominion, UMass, Colorado State, UConn. Like that is the level that they are at. And it's and and they're not much better at stopping the run. Like they are in the same tier as Utah State. This is another game that whether it be Jaron Hall, Baylor Romley, or Jacob Conover, it should be Tyler Algier. Like almost throw out the quarterback entirely and just run Wildcat because Boise State can't stop it. It's really interesting. So as I'm looking at this rush defense, like with team grade, so BYU is 11th in rush defense on PFF, uh, which is a far cry from what it was. And this is something we talked about. And, you know, this is what the problem was in 2019 when we're trying to mask a poor secondary. And that's where the whole notion of like, oh, we just drop eight every play came from. And something that you said before the season, right, was like, as long as teams are not rushing the ball on us, then drop as many guys as you want to, like clog up passing lanes, make the quarterback beat you because most quarterback, like, most almost all college quarterbacks will not be able to beat you over and over again. And they will make a mistake eventually. And if they are good enough to beat you when you do with all those passing lanes clogged up, then they're going to beat you no matter what, because you're playing, you know, like you're playing Baker Mayfield or Joe Burrow. And so, but, um, so defensively, um, our coverage overall defense 84.6 rush defense 87.2 we're number 11 in the country on that um coverage 78.3 but boise state oh shoot i gotta expand it they're not on the first page so i have to expand this to make it longer yeah that's a um, surprise they are do, do, do where are the little broncos uh they're right behind washington's they're tied with washington state at 88 so basically around arizona Washington that's state. Your, that's your bottom third. I mean, there's what 130 teams. Like yep. that, that's not good. Yeah. It that is, is, is bad. Yeah. It is not good. And then in terms of coverage, let's see where they, in terms of do, do, do oh no, that's and I don't know what the, what the blame is, you know, it, it's really interesting. Uh, maybe it is Andy Avalos is a defensive guy. And this is the first head coach who's had a defensive mindset. Harson was an offensive guy. Chris Peterson was an offensive guy. Maybe that's like that philosophy. They're, they're going to go through some growing pains. Maybe it's just the end of the magical Boise state run. Like we talked about it um, last week, two weeks ago with Utah, right? That like uh, college football is cyclical. Like we've all seen it. We've all felt it. Maybe it's just the end of the cycle for, for Boise state. And there's too many headwinds against them at this point that they can't, keep the magic alive and it's the weird thing or the thing about boise state and we've kind of talked about this before with schools like nebraska where it's like it's hard to sell nebraska to kids and are they is nebraska ever going to be able to recapture that magic with boise state when it's gone it may never come back right like as byu has always said like we have the church right like it's we've talked about the honor code is more of a recruiting floor than it is a ceiling and we have the church that will always supply a good number of three-star players that can be the bedrock foundation of your talent. And we will always have fans because it is more than football. Uh, when you're in Boise, they're the only ticket in town. They struggle selling. They don't really sell out their stadium unless BYU shows up and all the Mormons in Boise come in. And if they don't keep this thing rolling, they could very quickly, like this could very quickly end up like a, you know, Fresno state where they occasionally have good years and people think they're great, but they're not the program, you know, 
like, okay, yeah, Fresno yeah. State, they had their little run under Pat Hill. Or Colorado State, they had their moment under Sunday Levy. Boise State was a little, you know, stronger because they went, did it across three different coaches, I guess four, right? Because they had Dirk Cotter, Dan Hawkins, then Chris Peterson. But even then, Peterson was Hawkins' OC, and then Harson was the OC under Peterson. So it's really, it's still kind of your book ended in Chris Peterson. It was the brains of the whole operation. Mm-hmm. And now if Avalos can't hold this together, it could be really easy for this Boise team to slip into, you know, it's hard to convince people to go to Fresno. It's hard to convince people to go to Fort Collins. Are you, you know, do you, yeah, maybe you finished ranked a couple times a decade and people can count on you for a good scare against a, a big name team, but you're just never like, they may just not quite do it. And obviously this is just one year. Well, they were okay last year. They finished five and two, whatever, yeah, I mean, but they haven't, they haven't been great in a few years. Right. Like they, they haven't competed for that, uh, that G five automatic bid since what, like 2017. Right. And so they, I mean, they have, um, how many conference champions? I mean, they lost to San Jose state in their conference championship last year uh they've won you know that and that's maybe a good program comparison right there is san jose state that pops up and they're a top 25 team every once in a while but then they lose their coach and they go into rebuild mode again like that could be boise state's future yep and so they have okay so they won the mountain west under peterson in 2012 and then 2014 and then 2017 and 2019 Okay, they they won it those years. 2019, Harson went eight and 12 and two, in conference play or twelve and two overall, eight and in conference play. We were that one, and then uh, they lost their bowl game against Washington. But they, um, you know, it's yeah, they have not been blowing teams out the way that they have been in the past, and so it's like they're having they've had the double digit win seasons, but they are not coming with the same clout that they did in the Chris Peterson era. Like people are thinking yeah, oh, they're, mean, they're a very good team, but they are not elite the way that they right. were. And it's, I think BYU those last few years of the mountain West is a good example that while we all love to remember the Oklahoma game in, in 2009 and, and some of those great moments against Utah in 06, 07, if you look at what BYU did during that stretch of 06 to 09, they had a bunch of, of double-digit win seasons. That was awesome. That was great. But nobody remembers that outside of BYU fans. They remember TCU going undefeated and, and getting into the BCS. They remember Utah going undefeated and getting into the BCS. But BYU, they just had 10-win seasons, but it was like, eh, yeah, but you, you didn't win the games that mattered. You, you, you weren't going undefeated. And that was the bar that, that you were judged against, right? And I think that's what Boise State is up against. Like, okay, great. You may be able to run through the Mountain West Conference every year now and, and win the conference championship and, and get 10, 11 wins a season. But if you're not going undefeated, nobody cares, period. Like, they just don't care. And especially as the, the gap between the American and the Mountain West continues to grow, it will matter even less and less and less. And it's it's that that led BYU to go independent because they could see the writing on the wall that, okay, you take away Utah, you take away the, 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 the TCU and the, you know, really the mainstays, the foundation of the Mountain West Conference, we could win this conference every year. Nobody's going to care. It's not going to matter. It doesn't move the needle. So BYU went independent in an effort to find greener pastures and took 10 years, but they did, right? 
Boise State is there. And Boise State doesn't have the clout to have all of the options available to them that BYU does. And you're right. The, the high school football in the state of Idaho, it's not good. Like they get the occasional Tommy Togiai that comes out, the occasional Taysom Hill, but they're not good. Like it's, it's not enough that you can build a program that's sustainable. Um, Utah is different. Utah has significantly more talent at, at the high school ranks. Like you can, you look at BYU's recruiting class right now, they have 16 commits and I think 14 of them are from the state of Utah. If you took 14 kids out of the state of Idaho, you're not winning very many football games. Right. There's not that many D1 kids. And so, yeah, I mean, Boise State's going to be tough. This could be, we, we could be seeing that whole magical hook and ladder, you know, the run that started before the hook and ladder, but like the pinnacle of that run was that hook and ladder and that Statue of Liberty against Oklahoma. And when anybody thinks Boise State football, that's what you think of. That magical hook and ladder run, I think, is over. And I think that's what we're seeing uh, kind of unfold in real time. And, and this game, it's going to be a big game. It's going to be on national TV in the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday. This is the kind of game that if, if BYU comes out and they win by three or four scores with a backup or a third string quarterback, the entire country kind of looks at it and goes, huh, maybe Boise State's done. Yeah, and this could be this could be a, a damaging loss for for years for Boise State. Right. And because they the last time that they had five regular season losses um was in nineteen ninety-eight. So they've wow. lost so they've had they lost in twenty thirteen. They went uh eight and five, but they were eight and four and then lost their bowl game. Um and they've had another there's another season like that. But so going back, you know, talking about their run. So they moved up to from the Big Sky to the Big West, uh, which no longer supports football. In 1996, they were okay. They had a went like 500 in 96, the 97. So 99, they went with Dirk Cotter. They went 10 and three, 2000, and won the Big West title. 2000, they went 10 and two. And then 2001, they moved to the WAC. That was their first year in the WAC. They went six and two in conference play, and that was the year that Fresno was really good with David Carr. But then because the WAC had too many schools and they didn't have divisions, it was a weird thing that somehow Louisiana Tech ended up winning the conference, um, which is weird. But then they went 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007. They did not. Uh, 2007 was the year Hawaii won the WAC. And Boise State still, though, went 7-1. and one. They lost to Hawaii. It was their only conference loss. Um, and they... Hawaii went to the sugar bowl to get destroyed. So, but they were still, they were still right there. 2006, 2000, oh yeah, seven, eight, nine, ten, And then 2011 is when they joined the mountain West. That was TCU's last year, TCU won. And then they won 2012. But then, so it was basically the only year from 2000 on the only years that they did not win the title was when Hawaii went undefeated and TCU went undefeated and both went to new year's six games. But now you're looking at 2012, 2014, 2017, 2019. Like, yes, they're still winning most of them. They're still the best, most consistent program in the Pac-12 or in the Mountain West. But they went, uh, one, they won, had division or they won uh, their division in 2014, 16, 17, 18, 19. And then they, uh, but they've only won three out of those five conference championship games. 
And so that's conference conference championships mean nothing. I mean, Boise state measures their success on undefeated. Sorry. Three out of six. Sorry. Yeah. Three out of six conference um, championship games. So they're 500. Boise state is where BYU was at in the nineties. Like great. We're winning a bunch of whack titles, but we've tasted, we've tasted the sweetest nectar that there is to taste. You know, like we had been in the eighties, we had been at the top. And so all those whack trophies, it kind of didn't matter as much. That's why 1996 was so special for BYU fans, because it was more than just another pile of metal that represents the WAC championship. Like yep. that's what Boise State is at, and that's why this run might end. Uh, really, really kind of excited to see what what happens there. I, I I think I know where you stand. I think this game, regardless of who plays quarterback, I think this game is a two-score game. I think BYU wins by two touchdowns. If Jaron Hall is able to play, I think BYU potentially wins by four touchdowns. Like, I, I don't think Boise State is very good, and I, I think Lavelle is going to be crazy. I think that the whole environment is going to be so exciting for BYU. And, and the one thing that Kalani – I mean, Kalani does a lot of things well, but the one thing that I think he does better than anything else – is especially after 2017 when I think he had to learn this lesson the hard way he gets his guys up for one game at a time like there is no looking ahead like it is Boise State is everything everybody's attention is on Boise State this week nobody is thinking about Baylor nobody is thinking about their record nobody is thinking about their ranking they are only thinking about Boise State and and Kalani has figured that out in his culture that he has created in that program that you get up for the team that's next on the schedule. And I think this is a multiple score game. If Jaron Hall is able to go or Baylor Romney for that matter, I think it's a three or four touchdown game. Uh, If it's Conover, I still think it's a 10, 14 point game in BYU's favor. I think so as well, just because of the running game and whether it's Algier or we know they're not going to be able to get Alani going. Uh, We won't give up the big play the way other defensives have. Uh, you know, and even when you look back to their first game against UCF, that was only really a close game because they had like a 98 yard pick six. Right. And so they, um, and so there was that close, that was the only reason that was a close game. It's, we will not give up. We will not surrender the big play. They're obviously not going to run on us. They are, we should control the clock and assert ourselves in the trenches on both sides. And whether it is Tyler Algier or Lopini Katoa, or maybe we finally see a spotting of Jackson McChesney or Hinkley Rapati. Um, it's we should be able to move the ball and just control the game. Uh, the weather, um, it's not great. Uh, it, the weather is not great uh, on Saturday. It is high chance of rain. Um, so do, do, do looking at Saturday, uh, yeah, in the afternoon, it's there's like a sixty percent chance of rain. Uh, it's going to be a quarter of an inch. So that's going to, uh, that's going to amount of rain. Uh, that's a decent amount. Utah. That's a decent amount of rain for the state of Utah. And I think it, you know, if that, if it starts pouring, then we're going to be looking at, okay, well, we can run the ball really, really well. They're not good at running the ball. They're not good at stopping the run. We're good at both of those things. And is Khalil Shakir really going to be in a wet, slow, soggy field? Is he really going to be able to torch us deep? 
or is he really, I mean, last year he, we bottled him up pretty good. He had those couple plays when we let off the gas in the fourth quarter and, you know, they got that onside kick and whatever, and he got his, but it's, he didn't do that for most of the game. We bottled him up pretty good and kept him in front of us. And they kind of live by that big play with him. And so it, I, I agree. I think it will be another, what we've seen this year, like a 14 point win where it was never really in doubt but there's a couple minutes in the third quarter where people feel like it's a lot closer than it really is but then push come to shove we take care of business um yeah i i agree and i i think that's that's what this is um some other games this week to just pay attention to i i don't want to go into a ton of depth in each of these but some good games this week it's not quite the same slate that it was last week but some good games Iowa Penn State there is no under too low like whatever the, the whatever the game total is take the under and go and watch some classic Big 10 football uh Arkansas Ole Miss is a game that I'm crazy excited for because it's like the battle of the bludgeoned like both of those teams just got wrecked by Alabama and Georgia and it's like which one of them is going to come out on top will be the one that actually is proving that this season is for real uh, Arizona and UCLA. I have this game as like one that you need to watch late at night. And let me tell you why, because Arizona sucks, right? Well, maybe not Arizona. It was a one score game against Oregon in the fourth quarter. And then they threw, I think there was a pick six and then there was another bad turnover. And then the game kind of got out of hand and the final score ended up being like 41 to 19. And it looks like it was Oregon just blew them out, but Arizona played pretty well that game. Now they've had a bye week. They've seemed to have found something with Jordan McLeod at quarterback. And UCLA is a ranked team, but they're not a perfect team. This is a game that I think is sneaky good and a sneaky big opportunity for Arizona to break their two-plus-year losing streak. I think people need to tune into that game. Uh, I have made Tanner McKee at Stanford kind of must-watch TV. Uh, He's playing really, really well. He's fun to watch, too. Uh, I mean, I know it kind of breaks the hearts of BYU fans, but Arizona State plays Stanford, and that, that's going to be a game that's worth paying attention to. And then there's some of the bigger ones. Notre Dame, Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech, I, I think, could probably upset the Irish. I think Cincinnati broke the Irish, and I think Virginia Tech could uh, – what's the – I guess it's a leprechaun, not a vampire. I was going to say, you know, stab them with the silver bullet like a werewolf or whatever, but it, – it's a leprechaun doesn't apply uh lsu and kentucky kentucky's good if you haven't watched mark stoops that, they, that kentucky team is i mean good. they're undefeated right five and oh it's yeah they're, they they're the sneaky right it's like them in smu they're the sneaky five and oh teams that you're like yeah. huh didn't they're expect pretty, to see that this far into the season they're pretty solid and then get one look at, at west virginia and baylor uh mm. west virginia is not great and we'll see what baylor is they they did get beat pretty pretty soundly like the score was a little bit closer than the game actually was uh when they played oklahoma state last week but we'll get an idea of who baylor really is against west virginia coming off a loss and and ahead of the byu game next week those are the games i'm paying attention to this week shout out to whoever i don't remember his name the writer for the morgantown gazette or whatever the paper is in morgantown west virginia for having byu ranked sixth in the yeah on his AP ballot, showing the fellow Big Pritt. Twelve, the Ryan Pritt, Pritt, Ryan, yeah. Pritt. Ryan Pritt, yes, um, 
so always a big fan of Ryan Pritt. I always, always, always loved him. He's for since the dawn of time, he's been my favorite yeah. AP voter. Um, before we hop off, I just want to hop back. Um, I know we have a lot of injuries. Uh, just to point out, I did see somebody posted kind of an injury report, and we did. I did mention that George Alani may be out. Is there obviously their number back running back? Um, he's questionable. Um, their top two centers are out, so they're down to their third string center who was had a bunch of snaps bad snaps and got destroyed uh their starting right guard did not play last week and is unlikely to play this week so they've slid their right tackle down to guard to play next to their number three center and then have their uh and then have another backup there um holani is out their number one tight end riley smith did not play and he's questionable stefan cobbs finished the game last week but he's kind of limping. And so he, we already said that, you know, there's a big drop off after Shakir. Um, and then they're uh, one of their starting defensive ends and their starting nose tackle also, or did not play. The nose tackle appears to be done for this season. Um, and so three of their interior defensive line men on the two deep have not been playing for various reasons, whether that's just rotations or injuries, I am not sure. So they, their off their trenches situation on both sides of the ball is bad, 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 bad. So should be a big BYU win. Uh, do we make a commitment where it's a Saturday afternoon game? Maybe we will do a post game fireside. If the score is how many points? I don't know. Are you going to the game? Are you coming down? I am moving. Oh, that's, to text to, that's to tell you. I am closing on my house at long last on Friday afternoon and moving i guess starting to move this week. okay um so yeah depending on where it is i mean we, we can do it even we could do it right after so once i get i i will be there tailgating it will be my 69th byu game that i've gone to my 50th ah. in lavelle edwards stadium and i um and so i will probably be in the tailgate lot watching some of the afternoon games afterwards i don't know i could be there till midnight who knows uh, but i will have my phone and we can hop on and We've, I figured out how to do it on my phone once. We can do it again. So if it's a, I mean, 17, yeah, I think 17 can be a good number. And I think it being an afternoon game, it's definitely easier to do it, yeah. you know, in the night. And we can, um, it's definitely not do, we're not doing the midnight oil thing anymore. No, we're too old for that. I got too many kids for that. Yes. Same. So it has been a good episode. I will get this up. And until Saturday, Jeff, give them hell. Give them hell.